Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Ebenezer and our Sunday worship service. My name is Cal, and it's great to have you with us. Whether you're here in person or watching online, the opportunity to gather together as a church family is always a joy and a privilege. Now, just a few announcements to get us started today. First, we are excited and thankful that our two pastoral candidates, Ashlyn Feenstra and Will Demetro, have both accepted our invitation to come and become a part of our staff team and a part of our great Ebenezer family. Will will formally begin on May the 1st, and Ashlyn will start on June 1st. When they arrive, let's make sure we welcome them and make sure that they are, we, we recognize them as a part of our family. Second, this coming Friday, April 15th, we will have our Good Friday service at 10.30 a.m. Now, there'll just be the one service. Our balcony will still be set aside for those who want to mask and maintain social distancing, but we will have overflow areas ready if needed. And finally, next week is Easter Sunday, and we will have a celebration of baptism during the second service, so you'll want to be here for that as well. Next Sunday, Easter Sunday, our service times are as usual, 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Have a great morning. Well, welcome again this morning. My name is Chad Ingram, and I'm on staff here, for those of you that may not know that. And it's my privilege to be able to bring the word to us this morning and to share with you. So it's been a while since I've been up front, actually. So it's kind of been a fun experience to to prep and, and come up today. So it's Palm Sunday. And we annually recognize Palm Sunday as the first day of the week that led up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Palm Sunday was a significant day for Jesus because it was the day that he officially began to make himself known as King and Messiah in a very public way. Now, the past year, I've been actually reading through the Gospels and just kind of going through and being really detailed and making notes and then looking at the life of Jesus. And one of the things that I noticed in the beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth was that several times he'd come upon people that were in need and he'd pray for them, he'd express care towards them, he'd heal them, and then often he'd ask them to go and not say anything to anyone about, about what happened. Or occasionally he might ask them to go back and talk to the priest, but that would be it. And I've often wondered as I was going through this, and even prior to uh, reading through the Gospels more recently, why Jesus did this. And I came across one example in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45, and we're just going to read that. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest 
Let him examine you and take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. And this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And as a result, and catch this, as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in secluded places, but people from everyone, everywhere, kept coming to him. Now, in part, I wonder if Jesus had a plan to reveal himself as the Messiah through signs and wonders and his teachings to certain people in certain locations at certain times. But if the word got out of who he was too quickly, it might actually slow down or hinder his ministry. Now, we don't know this for sure, but it's just an interesting thing that in this shift from his public ministry that he was in, that he was very quick to tell people, don't go and say anything right now. Now, also in the Gospels, I saw repeated phrases that Jesus spoke in regards to not wanting to make uh, his life too public. And here's a repeated phrase that was often used. My hour has not come. And this also made me wonder, like, what hour is he talking about? John chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, says this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, Jesus went on to turn water into wine at this wedding, one of his first miracles that's recorded. But he was actually quite reluctant to do so because it wasn't his hour. Now, it's believed that his hour was referring to when he would make himself known as Messiah, be crucified, and then raised to life by the Father. And all the Gospels um, of, of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John speak of Jesus' private ministry to individuals or smaller gatherings of people. And, and these were times when he would often, like people were amazed by the, the quality of his teaching and the profound things that he had to say. They were amazed by his care for others and sometimes by the signs and wonders that followed. But then came the time when Jesus approaches Jerusalem and his ministry takes a very significant turn from the private to the public. His language shifts. And it says in John chapter 12, this is right after the triumphal entry, which we're going to get right into. He says, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. In other words, his hour has come. And this shift in language starts on what we call Palm Sunday the first day of the week leading up to his death and resurrection. Now, here's the context of this historical event. 
Around 2,000 years ago, a massive gathering of followers of God gathered in Jerusalem for the first time to celebrate the Passover feast. It was an annual festival to celebrate God's deliverance of the Israelites from the Egyptians, as well as the sparing of the firstborn of the Israelites. Now, Israel, many years later, had been conquered by Rome in 63 BC, and a king who was favorable to Rome had been put in place, and there was heavy taxation upon the Israelites. And this is in the time when Jesus comes towards Jerusalem. But no matter what was going on, all the people were gathering from all over that were followers of God for this celebration, regardless of, of the political situation that was happening. And as the people gathered, and we're talking like hundreds of thousands of people gathering, okay? As the people are gathering, the word began to spread that Jesus, who was this miracle-working, profound teacher, and he was gaining popularity, he was coming to the celebration. Now, not only had people had heard some of his teachings and some of the ongoing miracles that had taken place, but right before he enters Jerusalem, he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. And it actually says in John chapter 12, just so you, you have an idea of his popularity growing, John chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the, from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. So, let's get into the text that actually describes this first day of the week leading up to his death and resurrection. And although we could look at a number of the different Gospels, we're going to look at in, in Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, you can, or I'll have the text up here as well. Here's what it says. Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. And as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. He said, go into that village over there. And as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, uh, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. And as they rode along, the crowds spread out their garments, and it says in the Gospel of John, palm branches, on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Hosanna, blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. So, 
we see Jesus has been with the disciples, ministering out in the countryside, and now they're making their way towards Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, it might seem kind of strange to us that Jesus, you know, they're all walking along, but all of a sudden Jesus goes, hey, can a couple of you guys go ahead of me and get this donkey? But you have to understand something, and we're going to spend some time looking at some key parts of this story. Jesus was setting the stage to reveal himself as the high king of heaven, the Messiah, in a very public way, not just private anymore. Now, here are some of the proclamations and the symbolism that we must see because it adds to who Jesus is in this public entry the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. First, Jesus was intentionally now proclaiming himself to be the king of the Jews and Messiah. He knew that his hour had come to obey what Father God had called them to do as the coming Messiah. So how did he proclaim it? First of all, he rode into Jerusalem versus walking. Most people would have walked in these times, and only people who rode were recognized as people of nobility. And when kings had gone to war and then they'd come home, they'd ride these huge stallion horses into the city. The symbolism of Jesus riding into Jerusalem would have been understood by others to signify that he was a person of kingly stature. Now, secondly, Jesus was riding on a donkey, and that spoke to a prophetic word in the Old Testament in Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. This is profound. This is years prior to Jesus coming to be on earth. Listen to what it says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy by coming into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey as a king to proclaim his kingdom of peace to the very ends of the earth. The fulfillment of prophecy would not have been lost on the people of Israel. And even if they didn't get it immediately and understand what, that, what the significant was, significance was, they would probably eventually get it. And this happened even with the disciples in John chapter 12, 14 through 16. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. 
And it says in verse 16, at first his disciples didn't understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him many years prior and that these things had been done to him. The second uh, thing that we wanna, I want to point out is that Jesus was coming to conquer the hearts and the minds of man with the message of eternal peace. A horse was a symbol of war, but a donkey, and this was known in the times, was a symbol of peace. If you came into a new town and you rode in on a horse, you were making a statement. If you were riding in on a donkey, you were making a statement. Jesus was coming to bring peace. Jesus was making a statement that his kingdom was one that was established on peace, love, grace, and humility. His kingdom was a kingdom established on lowliness and servanthood. Not splendor and the strength of armies. It was a contrast. The crowd laying clothes in front of Jesus as he rode was a sign of respect for someone of nobility. And when kings returned from battle victorious, they would often lay these palm branches out before them. But palm branches were an emblem of joy, of victory, of peace. And the kings of earth would come back to their home nation, their capital cities, after they had conquered other nations with force. And they were bringing a temporal peace to the land. Because who knew? Who knew how long it would last? But Jesus is coming to conquer so much more as he rides into Jerusalem in this kingly way. His kingdom is eternal. And it provides everlasting peace with him for all of creation. Third, Jesus was seen as the needed Messiah by the people. The followers come out to the road where Jesus is and they're going, Hosanna, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. Hosanna literally means save me or save, I beseech thee. The people recognized their need for a savior in the political conditions, in the things that were happening in their own personal lives. They recognized that they needed a savior. The people had fallen in love with Jesus. In fact, the leading priests of that time made this statement in scripture. They went, the whole world has gone after him. The people wanted a Messiah to save them. They heard of some of his teachings. They either saw and or heard of, of some of his miracles. And they wanted him to be their leader to guide them. They appreciated his love, 
his grace, his justice, and how he stood up for people. They loved the peace that came with him. The children even loved him. However, it's in this last point of Jesus being seen as the Messiah that the triumphal entry takes a turn. Although many people saw the need for the Israelites to have a, savior, or a, a Messiah, and a Messiah had long been proclaimed to come to earth to save them, the people had many different ideas of who that Messiah would be, and therefore what that Messiah would do for them. Jesus made it clear in his teachings and actions and his public entry into Jerusalem that he was coming to be the high king of heaven and Messiah. He was coming to save his people from their sin, provide forgiveness and grace, and make a way for peace, true peace, for everyone. He was the Messiah that every human soul would need for eternity. Now the disciples, their viewpoint was they saw Jesus as the Messiah and they witnessed his teachings and his ways, but they didn't fully understand the implications of his role here on earth. Even they were still hoping that he would physically establish his kingdom on earth with him being the leader. When Jesus was arrested and taken away to be crucified, they scattered. And even Peter denied even knowing him. And it took a while for the disciples to recognize Jesus as the sacrificial Messiah they needed for their own souls. Then you think about the crowd that's gathering around Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. They saw Jesus as the political Messiah they needed to lead a revolt against the Romans. Jesus was popular. Many rallied around him. He's performing these incredible miracles. He was a great leader to lead them out from underneath the rule and the reign of the Romans. But all of a sudden, Jesus is arrested. He doesn't even assert himself to proclaim his innocence when on trial. And then he no longer fit their narrative that they hoped he would be. And soon, the very people who were proclaiming, Hosanna, and laying the palm branches down in front of him, one week later, we're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They couldn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah that they needed for their souls. Then you have the religious leaders. They wanted a Messiah, but they couldn't see how God could have been brought, a brought into the world as a Messiah through mankind. That was too human. That was unclean. 
There's no way that God would have done that. And it didn't fit their narrative. And instead, they saw Jesus, therefore, as a blasphemer and as a threat to their power base and authority. They actually said this about Jesus and, the, and his followers in John eleven forty eight. 48. If we let them go on like this, proclaiming who Jesus is, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So even when some of the Pharisees came to Jesus during the triumphal entry and asked him to rebuke his followers by saying, you know, when they were saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're going, tell him to be quiet. And Jesus replies to them and he says, the stones along the road would still burst out into cheers. Symbolizing that he was the Lord of even the stones. Him and the Father together. But still, in that moment, the religious leaders couldn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah that they needed for their souls. And therefore, they couldn't make him Lord. So with this in mind, let's go back to the text in Luke and read what happened as the triumphal entry continued. It says this in verse 41. But as he, Jesus, came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city, and you have to keep this in mind, the Mount of Olives is this higher peak and it's coming down into Jerusalem and you can see the whole city from this vantage point. And Jesus is riding on the donkey and he sees the city. And it says he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people, his Israelites, would understand the way to peace. But now it's too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against you and your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Get this. Because you did not recognize it when God visited you. And Jesus is weeping over his creation. Sorry, this is not put on. I was actually talking to Tracy partway through this week and I lost it in her office. But this is the first time he's looking at the people that he spent time with. And he's weeping because they're going to miss him. That he's there for their souls to set them free from their sin to offer grace and mercy and bring them life. 
And the thing is, is that Jesus hasn't stopped weeping for his creation to recognize him today. He was weeping because he knew some of the very people with him shouting Hosanna were going to be shocked at the coming events and what was going to happen to him because it didn't fit their narrative. And they would turn away from him in less than a week and they may never recognize him as the Messiah that they needed for their souls. So what does the triumphal entry where Jesus is proclaiming himself to be king and Messiah mean for us today? He's looking, Jesus is looking at you and I, and he wants us to see him for who he really is as king and Messiah, and not just what he does for us. He wants to bring his kingdom of peace into our lives and to save us from our sin, and he wants to give us eternal life and everlasting peace beyond temporal time here on earth. He is our eternal lover of our souls. And sometimes we could be like the disciples and the crowd and the religious leaders who were looking for a Messiah, but they wanted the kind of Messiah that did what they thought he should do who would focus on their happiness and their desires and their needs in the now. But the problem with this is that is a man-centered theology. With man-centered theology, when things don't go as hoped or life circumstances are difficult or challenging, then people fall away or maybe even fight and resist God. Like what would happen one week later after the triumphal entry. Jesus-centered theology focuses on God and his glory because he is the only one Worthy of glory, not any man. He created us. He created this universe. He gave us the life and the breath that we have today. Only he is worthy of glory all the time. That is the center of Jesus-centered theology. We need to see and recognize Jesus as the King of Heaven and Messiah as he revealed himself to, to be. And if we see him that way, then we will submit to his ways and learn to trust him even when things in life don't go the way we'd like them to. And we'll proclaim him to all those around us as well. Now, I just want to remind you who this Jesus is again, and we're going to look in Colossians. I love this passage of Scripture. 
The Son, Jesus, is the image, okay, came to earth. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God, the Father, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as I finish. We must recognize Jesus as Lord over all. He is Lord, and therefore we are not. We're a part of his story, and the Messiah isn't here to serve us in our story. We shouldn't align ourselves to Jesus because we happen to agree with what he does as long as it works in our plan. We align ourselves to him because of who he is as king and lord and creator, full of peace, love, forgiveness, and grace. And as Jesus was proclaiming himself as king over as king of heaven and Messiah, many disciples the crowd and religious leaders all thought they recognized Jesus, but they actually had a blurred understanding of what that meant. And they interpreted who he was differently, and therefore they assumed that he would do different things on earth other than die for the covering of their sins to bring peace for eternity between them and the Father. That was not making sense. As we approach this coming week of remembrance that leads up to the death and the resurrection of our Lord, do you identify with how the disciples, the crowd, the religious leaders could have viewed the triumphal entry and could have viewed Jesus, I can see myself in all of them. And this week, I was pondering that. There's times in life where things seem unfair. And, and I have needs that I'm going, Jesus, meet my needs. This is going on. This doesn't seem right. And if he doesn't come through the way I anticipate, I'm left with the question of going, well, then are you good? Are you king? 
can you save? But Jesus hasn't always met my expectations. But here's the thing I know for sure. My expectations aren't grounded in godliness. And they aren't grounded in his sovereign plan. And this is why we need to let Jesus be the saving Messiah of our selfish souls. And to let him be the king of our lives. If we look around at the world right now, do we need a Messiah? Man, do we ever. Whether on a global scale, personally what's happening in our lives, we need a Messiah. We need someone who sees all things and knows all things, who holds all things together. Jesus comes as a saving king to establish his kingdom of peace, love, grace, and righteousness. And he is good to his core. And he's willing to lay down his life to prove it. And if he is the true Messiah and he's Lord to you today, then keep giving every aspect of your life to him and share him with others this week. Let them know the difference that the Messiah has made in your life. And if you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah and Lord of your life, but you'd like to know more about that or you'd like to make that decision today, we would love to talk with you about that and to pray with you. And as the worship team uh, sings this next song and we just worship in response, if you're here and, and you just want to pray with someone, you can also just make your way up to the front here and we'd love to pray alongside of you and pray for you. But let's not get caught like when Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and he's going, they didn't recognize me. Recognize him today. Submit to him and proclaim who he is. Hosanna in the highest. Amen? Let me just close with this benediction in Jude. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you came to earth as our Messiah 
and the Lord that our souls desperately needed. And we try and fill that void with so many different things. But you fulfilled prophecy. You did profound miracles. You taught profound things that click and make sense to mankind. And there's still lots of questions that we have at times, but we want to recognize you as Lord and Messiah that we needed. And to commit to still trusting you, walking according to your ways, because we do see that they lead to life. And you are the only one worthy of glory and praise. Go with us today and continue to reveal yourself to us. If we have never made you Lord and Messiah, continue to reveal yourself to us today. Show us more of your character and your goodness. And if we have made you Lord and Savior, God, as we take a time annually to rejoice and celebrate your coming to earth, your entry into Jerusalem to reveal yourself in a public way as King and Messiah, if we align ourselves to that, then God, would you give us the courage and the eyes to see those around us that we could share with and not in a weird, awkward way, but just to, out of friendship to go, can I let you know the difference that Jesus has made in my life? That we would be laying the palm branches out in how we live our life and proclaiming Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. We pray this in your name. Amen. Be blessed as you go. Enjoy hanging out with one another. Um, and we hope to see you on Friday at the Good Friday service and at, on Easter Sunday as well. Be blessed. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you. And thanks for listening.